This is Michael Cowan, and welcome to Trial Lawyer Nation. When the jury panel comes into the courtroom and the bailiff says, all rise, I know we're here. And it doesn't matter who they are, nobody should be above the law. A lot of us talk about that, but you've actually done it. That's how you also maintain quality control over your practice. Yeah. That's a question I get asked a lot, and here's the answer. Welcome to the award-winning podcast, Trial Lawyer Nation. Your source to win bigger verdicts, get more cases, and manage your law firm. And now, here's your host, noteworthy author, sought-after speaker, and renowned trial lawyer, Michael Cowan. Today on Trial Lawyer Nation, I am privileged to have a really good friend of mine, uh, Tim Whiting. Tim is from Chicago. He's owner of the Whiting Law Group. Uh, does mostly trucking cases, but has had success in other areas through his career as well. How are you doing today, Tim? Great, Michael. Thank you for having me. I'm very honored to be a guest today. I really enjoyed spending time with you today. Tim was nice enough to come down to San Antonio, and we've been hanging out. It's been a great day, Michael. So, Tim, tell me, what kind of practice do you currently have? Currently, we are doing mostly trucking accidents. Why? Well, it's the why is a longer question. Uh, would you like me to start from the uh, beginning? I'll, I'll get into the beginning. Okay. Is, is, is there anything particular about trucking that, that drew you to it, I guess, before we get into your whole journey? Sure. It's a very cool story that I think everyone's going to want to hear. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Uh, so the, the journey really started when I was a kid because I grew up in a very small town in Wisconsin, very blue-collar town, and uh, there was a lot of heavy machinery and a lot of farming, and when I met some very, very uh, successful truck accident lawyers like Joe Freed and Michael Leeserman uh, and yourself and many others, I started to explore this world of handling trucking accidents and becoming very specialized at it because it's such a complex kind of a case. And it just fit because of that blue collar background. It just seemed to really feel great to do. And so I didn't have that passion for any other area of law until I got into the trucking world. Yeah, I really like it because it's it's interesting, but also it's an area where the hard work and digging tends to bear fruit. Uh, You tend to, the more you dig, the more stuff you find that the company's doing wrong and, and you expose it and you feel like, you know, I'm getting money from my client, but I'm also hopefully gonna make the world a little safer. Yeah, 100%. You know, it, it's a very complex case. It's a very complex industry. And I feel that with lawyers like yourself and, and others, uh, especially part of our some of the trucking groups that we're a part of, there there's some wonderful, great minds. And we keep going deeper, don't we? I mean, you and I have, have had some great success in trucking accidents, and then all of a sudden we go on some of these uh, truck conferences and we hear from other people and we're just amazed at a whole nother layer yet that's discovered. Absolutely. Well, I want to start off, what did you start your journey towards being a, I guess we'd call a trucking trial lawyer? Because there's two different components, being a true trucking lawyer and a true trial lawyer. What did you start what you're telling me that was you started both those journeys at the same time yes it's a, it's a great question by the way and i'm i'm uh pausing just because there's so many thoughts that just rush to my mind to answer that question i think that it it started when i moved to chicago to start my legal career when was that um that was in about 1996 okay so what did you start off did you start off knowing you were going to be a trucking trial lawyer. Absolutely not. What did you start off doing? <laughs> Surviving. Okay. <laughs> Putting uh, food on the table. I know how that feels, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I came I came from very limited uh, economic circumstances, and 
uh, put myself through school with a wrestling scholarship and then uh, I just worked construction and farming to pay for law school during the summers um, and I really didn't have any legal experience. I have no one in my family that had a legal background. Uh, the town I grew up in was very blue collar so there wasn't a lot of big influences for me and in fact how I even chose to become a lawyer was because in fourth grade my teacher had asked us all to do a book report on what we might want to do for a career and all I remember at that point in my life was we're poor I don't want to be poor so I went to the library and I, I stumbled on this book from Marvin Belli. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, it was, it, I don't think it was the King of Torts book, but it was one of his books. And here I'm reading about this, you know, eccentric, wealthy, successful lawyer trying cases all over the world. And I was immediately locked in that I think that the way out of my circumstances is to become a lawyer. And that's really when it started. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you get you move to Chicago after you get to law school. You're I guess doing whatever you can get. What's your next step? How long are you doing that till something else happens? Yeah. So I I so I was a wrestler growing up most of my life, and my wrestling coach from Wisconsin was friendly with this personal injury lawyer who focused mostly in medical malpractice cases, and his son was a very uh, elite wrestler. And so my wrestling coach said, hey, you should just look him up. So I went down there. Uh, I didn't have a job. Uh, I was kind of sleeping on a friend of a friend's sofa. And I looked up this man named Louis Goldstein. And uh, Louis heard that I might call through my wrestling coach, invites me up to his office, downtown Chicago, and just takes me in like a son. Awesome. And Louis ended up introducing me to my first employer, which was a large insurance defense firm uh, called Hinshaw and Culbertson, downtown Chicago, which is now a national defense firm. And I worked there for about four years. And I really didn't make a lot of money as a defense lawyer. I was still struggling. And then I was also watching a lot of good and not so good plaintiff's lawyers uh, win large sums of money for their clients and some were not really even compassionate and some were and both left an impression yeah one of the kind of lawyer I wanted to be and one was the kind I didn't want to be but I know one thing that that was the side of the fence I needed to be on to be able to really kind of bring out my talents which is my compassion and empathy for people and my desire to help and then also uh, to break out of my financial chains, if you will. So when did you switch sides to the plaintiff side? So it was uh, 2001. Uh, I was about five years in as an insurance defense lawyer. I was miserable. And uh, I went into my boss's office and I said, I'm quitting. I'm going to start my own plaintiff's firm. And he laughed and he told me I'd be out of business in six months, that he'll keep my desk and <laughs> chair open for me. Well, that was because, nice. Yeah, because he said uh, that he, he was so certain I was going to fail. And, you know, I didn't have any, I had a few plaintiff's cases just from college buddies that had gotten either rear-ended or, uh, you know, fell down somewhere, but very minor cases. So I started my law firm, Whiting Law Group, out of my apartment in 2001. And so what was the progression then from, you know, just being in your apartment, not having any clients other than a few friends uh, that had something minor. Uh, so over the next 10 years, what was 
what was your progression? Sure. Uh, well, I, I could probably tell some really great stories for about three hours, but <laughs> I don't think any of us want to stay here for that long. But the progression, you know, there's, there's really something to be said for when you're starving and how to survive what you need to do to get successful, if that's what your goal is. And I was starving and hungry and uh, both, you know, physically hungry <laughs> and hungry for success. And those were huge motivators. And so from my apartment, I just started hustling and I called up defense lawyers that I knew. I called up some of the plaintiff's lawyers that I had met. And I just started meeting for coffee because I really couldn't afford to take them to lunch or dinner. I had no marketing materials. Um, and I, I just started you know, telling them, hey, I'm, I'm gonna do great and just had a little sales pitch, I guess, that I would be very available to their clients and get great results for them. And so, you know, one case led to another and then there were a few, in, within the first year or two, there were some decent results that I had just from kind of grassroots referrals. And they were a broad array of cases. One, I recall, specifically was a nursing home case. One was a Fen-Fen case, if you remember that yeah. litigation. And, you know, those results helped me, uh, one, get out of my apartment. Number two, I had raised some eyebrows in the legal community for being so brave and being so young. And yeah. one of the gentlemen that took note of it was one of the editors at the Chicago Daily Law Bulletin. And he was so impressed, he called me up, wanted my story, much like I'm telling you now. And he was so blown away um, that he uh, had nominated me himself for one of the 40 under 40 top oh, lawyers wow. in Illinois, which I ended up getting, I think, my third year into my practice. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it was really great. And then things like that just really started to develop more referrals and I did start to, you know, become a better lawyer and the cases uh, got better and I got better and the results got better. Um, and then over the next couple of years, we ended up getting an office suite, hiring my first lawyer, hiring my first assistant, uh, led to another lawyer and a fourth lawyer and the third lawyer, I'm sorry, and, you know, several paralegals and the caseload kept growing. And uh, you know, by, by its peak, I would say around 2010, I was definitely meeting my goals that I didn't want to be poor anymore. I certainly wasn't. I had met some great successes, but I was, I was pretty unhappy, Michael. Why were you unhappy? I mean, that's, and I've seen so much of it that people who have incredible financial success in our field are, are just miserable. Why were you unhappy? Yeah, so, you know, I was I was entering my 40s, and uh, I was starting, you know, as you, as you know, entering your 40s, uh, you start to think ahead, uh, whereas in your 30s, you're just kind of thinking in front of you. And when I did that, I started to look ahead, and I thought to myself, well, you know, I had, at the time, about four or five lawyers. I had close to 400 cases. Um, they were anywhere from auto cases to medical cases to nursing home cases to, to just slip and fall cases. And, you know, there were just constant internal headaches, constant client headaches. I wasn't trying cases. Uh, I, 
I always had this belief in myself that I'm, I'm very, uh, I think I can be very good in front of a jury, but I was very scared to go in front of a jury because I had never had any formal training. I mean, I started the practice out of my office, and when I was at the defense firm, I did try probably about 10 cases, but as an insurance defense lawyer, you know, all you have to do is kind of throw stuff at the wall and and, yeah. and it sticks sometimes or sometimes you have to do nothing the plaintiff just has a bad case or the plaintiff's lawyer isn't that good and so I didn't really consider those those victories as a defense lawyer getting trial experience or training and around 2010 I just had really kind of a you know a personal uh, one-on-one intervention with myself and I thought to my, my I thought inside if this is what it looks like the rest of the way, this is not what I want. I, I remember a saying we had growing up, which was, I'd rather dig ditches. Right. And uh, nothing against ditch diggers because, you know, they, they serve a great function in our, in our society, but that clearly wasn't where my direction was going to be. And so knowing that, I decided to make some drastic changes inside of my firm and, and with my career. So what, what was your next step to try to combine... I mean, you don't want to give up the financial success, but you want to add some happiness and satisfaction. What did you do? Yeah. So, you know, I've always had this belief that if you take one step backward with the goal in mind, you're going to take two or three steps forward. That's a positive. And uh, I had believed that in 2010 that I did probably need to release some of the financial success by taking a step backward to clear out the direction that I was going because as you know with 400 cases and five lawyers you don't just you don't just wake up and say okay we're doing a different thing today oh yeah <laughs> so that thought and direction was a process and within that process about a year into it I had reduced the cases to, you know, around 250 and I had come down to about three lawyers and things were already starting to feel better. And I had just randomly gotten a pretty serious truck crash in and very sad. And the truck company had a million dollars and the loss was way more than a million dollars. And I had enough sense at that time not to do what a lot of non-trucking lawyers would do, which is take the million dollars. And so I started just kind of looking through some websites and uh, materials in the legal community. I had not been a part of AAJ at that point. I had not been a part of any uh, real legal organization. And it just so happened that AAJ's summer convention was hosted in 2011 that summer in Chicago. And it was right around the time of this transformation and right around the time of this case. And I had gotten the flyer uh, or the email with the agenda. And one of them was this truck litigation group. And they have a whole day at AAJ. And so I decided to go to my first AAJ conference and go to this truck group. And one of the topics was on If a Million Dollars Isn't Enough by Michael Leeserman. Um, He had just won a big case against a shipper out in uh, Oregon, I think it was. Yeah, Yeah, it was a great case, kind of a landmark case, if you will, for for our world, right, with shipper broker litigation. Even got punitive damages. Even got got punitive damages. Wasn't that wonderful? So I thought I'll go check out both the program and and listen to Michael and try to, you know, pull him aside after to pick his brain about my case. 
the first speaker was a man by the name of Joe Freed, who's now become like, well, he is my mentor in this business. And he is really the one I owe probably the most gratitude for where I am today. And I heard him speak and he was absolutely uh, inspiring. And he told his story on the podium about how one day he also had had it with, yeah, I think he was doing products and yeah, he was doing product cases, uh, fuel fed fire. That's I met him in the product world and then met him again in the trucking world. Yeah, and Joe, as you know, is a, a very talented trial lawyer. Yeah, um, and then he just took that skill into trucking. Um, but how he did it w- was the story that just really spoke to me because I was already in my transformation of wondering what my future was going to hold. And when I heard him talk about how he dropped everything and decided he wanted to be a truck accident lawyer and that he had to commit his entire life to that, uh, that was all I needed to hear. Um, So I stuck around. I did listen to Michael. And in fact, I did track Michael down later. But the first person I tracked down was Joe Freed in the in the lobby of the uh, Hilton downtown Sheridan. I'm sorry, downtown Chicago. And it was a great story, as Joe tells it today, when he introduces me to many of the, the events that I speak at. Uh, I chased him down, Mr. Freed, Mr. Freed. <laughs> and uh, he turns around because he was he had to fly out that day. And uh, he turns around uh, and I said, Mr. Freed, Mr. Freed, I'm Tim Whiting. You never met me. Uh, I, I'd like to pick your brain. Your story really moved me. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, here's the deal, kid. I'll talk to you, but not if you call me Mr. Freed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so that really kicked it all off. Yeah, it's so funny because you and I, we've mentioned this, we always seem to be, we're like on parallel journeys. We, we seem to be going through the same, we're going through partnership issues at the same time. We're going yeah. through maybe some relationship stuff at the same time. We go through the same kind of legal stuff. And Joe and Michael were both transformational. I mean, Joe inspired me to be brave enough to, you know, have a more trucking focused practice and to write and Michael Leeserman still inspired me to try to write a book and I still remember the conversation at the time we were doing I think we were signing up like 25 to 35 auto wrecks a month uh, you know non-commercial mm-hmm. regular vendor vendors and right. you know it brought in money uh, but it also kept taking me away from what I loved and I remember I was at an AJ thing in New Orleans and I was having lunch with Michael Leeserman and I said Michael how did you get to where you are I mean how did you get a practice where you only have good trucking cases and he says, well, I just said no to everything else. And it never occurred to me. I just thought if I just stayed on this hamster wheel, eventually all these big cases would just come in and the other ones would, I guess, go away. I don't know what I was thinking. Right. Uh, it took me a while after that to get the courage to follow through mm-hmm. uh, in his suggestion. But those two people were transformational in my life, too. It's just amazing how much of an effect they've had on so many people. You know, and I wonder, Michael, if they really do know the effect that they've had on trial lawyers like ourselves. And uh, I try to tell Joe, I think he actually is tired of me telling him that. But I think they're too humble and down to earth yeah. to, to really believe how transformational they've been, yeah. which is part of why they're so awesome. That's true. And, you know, to address our relationship, because it's really special. And I want you to know I love you, Michael, Thank um, you. like a brother. You too. And when we started working on the case that we started to work on together, we sat down for dinner, if you remember, in Chicago, yeah. and we both almost blurted out at the same time, hey, our lives, our, <laughs> our personal lives and our professional lives have been on this very parallel path, and I think it's a, it's a really cool thing, and it's something that's really kept us connected and probably led us right here. Yeah. 
let's go to, you know, I guess you did a broker case, I'm guessing, on that uh, case where you didn't take the million dollars. Right. So uh, it was a very sad case, and it led me to that program, meeting Joe, ending up talking to Joe about how to do what you had that same conversation with Michael, which is how to become a truck accident trial lawyer. And Joe had said the same thing, drop everything and start to specialize in it and put it out to the world. And then the shipper case uh, led me to a two-day consultation with Michael and his wife, Rena, at their home in Ohio. And it was probably one of, at that time, the singular most greatest experiences I've had as a trial lawyer. Really? Yes. Um, it was powerful. Um, watching Michael and Rena in, in their uh, workroom tear apart the case and really mind map it from not only a, a, a way to win the case, but to go to trial and win the case. And that was something I had never done. And that's when I realized the second part of my journey, which was I need to become a trial lawyer because that's really what's in my heart. I'm a fighter. I'm a warrior. I've been that since since I was in first grade and started wrestling and fighting, and and that's my spirit. And so I had been kind of covering that up, and then I hadn't had any training. And so that experience really led me to not only seeing that trucking was something that spoke to me and I was going to be passionate about, and I wanted my firm to become – Uh, one of Illinois' first and only trucking accident-only law firms. But alongside of that, I realized that I needed to do a deep dive not only into the trucking world and learning to be a truck accident lawyer, but also to becoming a trial lawyer. So that took around 2012. And what I did was I, I started to take that one step back to go two forward. And so I went down to two lawyers. Uh, went down to less than 150 cases, and I gave most of the cases to my two associates, uh, and one was a partner, and I just said, you guys work these cases up, keep the money coming in so we can keep the the lights on. And I went on a journey of uh, every single truck conference or seminar I could sign up for and attend. I started flying around the country and listening to uh, people like you speak and, you know, again, Michael and Joe and many other great truck accident lawyers. I started to join AAJ's truck litigation group. Um, I joined at that time, there was another trucking group out of St. Louis called the Pitla. I was there for a year or two. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then that led to where we are now, right, with ATAA. Yeah. And, uh, and so I started doing that, um, I would say, twice a month. Uh, I started subscribing to every magazine that I could in the trucking world. Transport Topics is one of those, uh, I think, excellent resources. I started buying all the resources Joe Freed would keep talking about with all the rules in them. You know, the driver manuals, the J.J. Keller ones, the preventability manuals, the regs, uh, yeah. which are the, you know, the holy grail or Bible, if you will, of, of the industry, the CDL manuals. You know, I met people like Morgan Adams and Robert Collins, uh, you know, the deans of trucking that had resource after resource. And slowly but surely, I started to become more proficient at trucking. And as you know, when you start to manifest things in the world, uh, they come back to you. Yeah, the, but your comment was being a trucking trial lawyer, because that's a fairly, that's not as common as you think. There's a lot of great 
trial lawyers there that don't necessarily have all the trucking technical knowledge. They can put on a great case, but they may not realize all the ammo they have to really get, uh, win their case or maximize their case. And then you have people that know, like they can quote the regs chapter and verse without looking at them, but they may not necessarily be the most engaging, dynamic trial lawyers. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a you know, people like Joe and Michael, and there's others. I'm, I'm not just, I don't want to name names or not name names. So if I didn't name your name, there's lots of people out there that are great. You're my friend. I love you. You're going to be fine. Uh, but it is a, a two totally different skill sets, and then integrating the two is mm -hmm. even more difficult. Mm -hmm. Tell me about your journey then to try to become a great trial lawyer because mm -hmm. it's a totally different thing. Yeah, it's great. Great question. Sorry, and it's wordy. No, no, it's a good, really, they, they, you know, they have gone together for me in in the parallel timing sense but then they are very two distinct things as you pointed out so i really think the question is a wonderful question and um i was on the journey for both and so as i was learning the trucking world i started to get a few more trucking cases here and there and was lowering my caseload at the time then i went also on a journey of trying to learn how to be a trial lawyer and as you know, there was the reptile implosion at the time. Um, there was many other trial guides uh, for AAJ was a wonderful resource. Um, there was a lot of different trial courses that you can attend around the United States. And I was attending as many of those as I could. Uh, Paul Scopter did a lot of work up in Milwaukee, which was close by. So I would go up and see him. And he was a wonderful teacher as well for trial techniques. And then uh, I started to also go to some of the, it wasn't necessarily trial lawyers college, but it was. Okay. Um, and that happened around 2014. I went out to Aspen for a, a jury selection weekend uh, focus. Uh -huh. And it was held by Mel Orchard and Tyson Logan over at Jerry Spence's law firm. Yeah. And Jesse Wilson was there, a good friend oh, of ours. Oh, that's where you met Jesse, okay. That's where I met Jesse. And, uh, you know, as they say in that movie, Goodfellas, you know, my life was never the same after I met Jesse Wilson. <laughs> um, but um, that experience spoke to me deeply, much like the one after listening to Joe speak in 2011 at AAJ about the trucking world. And um, it felt right that this was the course I needed to take or the methods, I guess, I needed to learn to become the trial lawyer that I knew I could be and can be. And so I started to explore more of the trial lawyer college techniques and, you know, started to meet more graduates of the trial lawyers college and and it started to influence me while i continued to study as many other type of uh you know trial lawyer courses like reptile again um and and many others and then i started to go to trial during those couple of years and started to see the results and the success that came from being intentional about being trained as a trial lawyer uh, when i grew up and was wrestling I had this little saying on my bedroom door that I would look at every morning at 6 a.m. when I wanted to just curl up and stay in bed, and it said, champions aren't born, 
they're built. Uh-huh. Uh, you have to build them, right? And so that phrase stuck with me and really in all of my life, in my academic career, my wrestling career, and now my legal career. And I don't think trial lawyers are born. And so while I'm not a young trial lawyer, I am a late bloomer, I guess I'd call myself, into the trial world. But I am on fire to become um, one of the best trial lawyers I can be and hopefully be recognized as such around the United States in the next 10 or 15 years. And I'm very committed to that. And I started that journey uh, again around 2014. But, But I realized trial lawyers aren't born. You really do have to build them. And all those years I spent just laying the groundwork of exploring all the different ways to get trained as a trial lawyer, because there's so many, yeah. as you know. And there's consultants, you know, like Paul Scopter that were, you know, you know that yeah, I know he's no longer with us, um, but, you know, so many like that, that I was also starting to have interactions with and learn from. And everybody had a little bit of a different way and method. And that all led me to not only starting to get trained as a trial lawyer and start to use some of the the techniques that worked for me, um, but again, going back to the trial lawyer's college, it was was like, I want to go to trial lawyer's college. And you finally went. And I finally went. You just went this year. I did. So we we are 21 years apart on that one. We've not had parallel (laughs) journeys there. Right. So what was it like? Well, first, I have to thank my good buddy, Eric Penn, because Eric, you know, has, as you know, had that $90 million verdict against Warner last year, and we had become very close before that verdict, and he also was a big inspiration into becoming a better trial lawyer, and he attributed a lot of his success to, to the Trial Lawyers College, and he kept saying, you are perfect for this. Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> thank you. And he's, and others started to say that to me as well. And again, I told you, it's it spoke to me deep down separate from that. Um, so I needed to go to trial lawyers college. And at my age, uh, you know, it was it was a little bit of a difficult thing to do because of my practice. Being, yeah, taking multiple weeks off. Yeah. And, you know, you're, you're you know, I think it's a probably, so the, the, I don't know that it's easier to go as you're younger. I'm not sure. But it led to an interesting question that you and I actually talked about when I got back. If you you recall, that kind of led to the discussion about possible section in this podcast about is it better to go to Trialers College as a young lawyer or is it better to go after you've had some experience? Well, let's let's trade our ideas because I went as a three-year lawyer. Uh, I was an associate in a law firm, so I didn't have any of the pressure of uh, worrying about running a law firm or finances. I mean, I had a boss that was paying me to go there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I didn't have bad habits. I probably tried, you know, less than five cases probably when I went there. So I didn't have any bad habits to overcome. Plus, the, my boss who was sending me there was a 1994 first class of trial lawyers college. So the method I was being taught on how to try a case was from a trial lawyers college grad. So I, I never had that. So from that point of view, I think I had a leg up. The disadvantage, I think, of being 28 is I don't know that I was emotionally available mm-hmm. and uh, willing to be as open uh, with everything that I am now. And so there's other aspects of it as far as, you know, part of being a good trial lawyer is it's a self you have to discover yourself and get past your own BS to be able to go and fully advocate for someone else's story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know that I was quite ready to share all my BS with other people fully and honestly at the age of 28. Right. 
So I think it was probably a couple years after that at a, at a TLC grad program where I was finally able to to do be a protagonist in a cycle drama and to, and to not self-edit, to fully open up and trust <laughs> the group. Uh, and frankly, that you know I've had success throughout my career, but I think one of the things that where I've held myself back was not fully trusting the jury. Yeah. Just like I didn't fully trust other people to, yeah. to fully be myself and yeah. open up whatever I have inside me in a cycle drama yeah. in front of people. And, you know, when you don't trust other people, they're not going to fully trust you and and, yeah. uh, and do the right thing for you. And so, you know, on one hand, it was good because the techniques I learned. And then, you know, I started the journey a lot younger. On the other hand, there, there were probably far more mature 28-year-olds than I was at the age of 28. But having, you know, been I was 28 sure. and uh, in a month when I started. Yeah. And, you know, I just wasn't where I am now. But I'm glad I did it the way I did it because that's the only journey I've been on. Right, and so that's a hard question to answer, right? Yeah, um, so I can give you the perspective if you had maybe gone at, at the age we're at both now. You know, uh, you're bordering fifty, I think, yeah. and I'm at fifty-one. So, and you know, I, I want to, you know, I want to be very open about something, which was uh, when I went, I had a lot of insecurity, uh, and the insecurity came from both not ever really being trained as a trial lawyer and having gone down the road for a couple of years I'd learned and I'd been in trial a few more times than I had in the past and I've saw the techniques starting to show the success in in my skills as a trial lawyer but you know thinking that I'm on the older end of the class and I just felt that that insecurity made me feel like maybe I wasn't good enough, uh, that maybe I was too old, um, maybe I should just stay on all these questions, maybe I should just stay on this journey and settle everything from now until the end of my career. And But that just isn't what I want. And so, you know, I got off, got on that plane and got off that plane and got on the bus and uh, made that journey to, to the ranch. And so, you know, I think that was one component of of my uh, reflection, which is I'm not sure I would have had those same insecurities as a younger lawyer, but maybe I would have. Um, and then I think the other thing that I believe I would advocate for somebody going at my point in the career is the flip side of what you described, which is that um, you know I, I had had quite a few challenges in my life. Um, one was a you know a really really long-term unhealthy relationship that had ended um, and it w- it really you know it really took me down a notch but it led me to therapy and it really led uh, therapy led to a, a deep self-exploration into a lot of things in my life uh, the role of drinking um, alcohol um, the role of of my insecurities the role of um, of judgment um, you know and um, codependency and all these things that I thought were limiting me personally but when I went to trial lawyers college I saw the tie into how it was limiting me as a trial lawyer absolutely and so that experience at my age if you want to look at it from either an age thing or a specific experience the therapy because of a bad relationship um then you could just take it and say, well, maybe everybody should go to therapy first and then go to trial or college or vice versa. I'm not sure. But yeah. it really was a profound experience for me because of 
I think the experiences I had in life to that point, the emotional maturity I had through therapy, um, the willingness to face my my issues, and and Trialers College just took that and took it to a whole nother level, which has made me, uh, I, I, I say to all my friends back home, that the guy that went to Trialers College is not the same guy that has come back. That's good, that's awesome. Yeah. Each year, the law firm of Cowan Rodriguez Peacock pays millions of dollars in co-counsel fees to attorneys nationwide on trucking, commercial motor vehicle, and product liability cases. If you have a case involving death or catastrophic injuries and would like to partner with our firm, please contact us. We would be honored to review the case in detail, discuss where we believe we can add value, and create a mutually beneficial partnership. You can reach Delisi Friday by calling 210-941-1301 or send an email to podcast at triallawyernation.com. She will coordinate a time for Michael Cowan to speak with you in person or by phone to discuss the case in detail. And now, back to the show. Well, first of all, I'd agree every one that does what we do for a living should do therapy. It should try it at least. Uh, not just because we have a huge problem with anxiety, depression, drug abuse, infidelity, suicide, and everything that comes with it. Just from all the trauma that we absorb and all the, the pressure we put ourselves into, actually, a lot of it's self-imposed in this field. But also just you have to get past your own roadblocks in order to truly represent somebody else in the courtroom because you have to get past your own insecurities and hang-ups so that you don't worry about yourself anymore and you're only worried about the story and your client and doing the right thing and when that happens that's when the magic happens because then you can truly connect with the jurors you can yeah. truly because you're not it's not about you anymore yeah uh, and so but for when to go to trial lawyers college you know if that's what you want to do and, and I think if you want to be a trial lawyer you should at least try it it's not for everybody um, I'm glad I went uh, I've had an open offer to other lawyers at my firm for over 20 years no one's taken me up on it I think I finally have an associate wants to go and I've said for 20 years I will pay for it and I will pay you while you're there <laughs> uh, but it's not for everybody and I don't you know we have some fine lawyers that haven't gone to it but I think if you can do it because it is so hard no matter where you are I wouldn't wait for the right time if you're at a point in your life where you can take the three weeks off you can get in you know you apply you get in you can take the time off financially do it it's just there's no you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring yeah, and you know, Michael, on that point, it, it was really interesting because uh, after you know these experiences where people were like you were telling me, "Hey, you're the perfect fit for Trialers College," you know, it wasn't like I went the next summer. It was years that had gone by, um, you know. And then Eric Penn again had really pushed hard this last round, and even then, I started to as it was coming up on the time to leave I, I even was like oh I can't do this you know I have this going on I have this and then when I get back I have this and and your mind can just play some really strong tricks to talk you out of going yeah. and fortunately I have an awesome team of lawyers at my office and my paralegals and my team was just like we got this yeah. we got the office you go and they said because when you come back we're going next year, awesome. <laughs> and so you know, my the, team's uh, going to go. It's going to be. They great. also have really good grad programs. So you know, although when I went, I think I really got a lot of the trial skills stuff, and like I said, I think I wasn't as emotionally open then. But a few years later, when I was at a grad program, I was, and mm -hmm. so then I kind of completed. To me, I got the full, fully TLC probably a couple of years after I got out. Which yeah, 
ironically, is when I got asked to be on staff, I guess maybe someone else noticed that I finally flipped the switch or I kissed the right person's ass. I don't know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Trial Lawyers College is a very interesting community, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, my experience was nothing but 100% positive and I grew as a person and I didn't think I could grow anymore after therapy and my age and everything and oh, there's I always more. right there are always more and you know it was really it's really interesting though to see how much of a different person I am in the world because of Trialers College and you know one of the things that has been noticeably different is is just how I interact in in my own office with with uh, my team and um, my one of my you know real good classmates at TLC, um, Sam Nordine, had suggested that we do this uh, when we get back at his, he, uh, he has his own office as well, and he was saying, hey, we should do the uh, reenactment of the greatest scene of, of our life, but do it with our office staff. And I thought that was brilliant. And so we did it at the office. Oh, cool. Oh, it was one of the most the, one of the greatest team building experiences I've ever had at, at my law firm, and we had a blast doing it. And and they notice and have noticed a change in me is that I don't feel as anxious. I feel more confident in my skills, and I'm ready to become that trial lawyer. Now the work is to keep that exactly, and not let the whirlwind of life take that away from you and for me that's been an up and down uh, I get it back and I kind of start let it go again and I mm-hmm. fight to get it back but I, I encourage you to, to be purposeful in trying to keep that spirit well you know Michael it's a great insight and great thought because that is the challenge and I have a few thoughts on that okay that I've I've had really had to reflect because when you go to Trialers College and you come home for me, you know, I, I don't have a family yet in my life. Well, I want one and I will get one. I don't now. And so um, there's a profound emptiness just in the transition back, so to speak, to the real world. Oh, yeah, right? absolutely. Well, so if you... Going from where people actually listen to you when you talk to back to the regular... <laughs> and, you know, every morning getting up and, and you know, f- by the time you go to the bathroom, you've hugged four or five people and they told you they love you and you love them, you know, it it's kind of like all of a sudden you wake up and there's nothing but a pin drop in your yeah, home, right? The commune is nice. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, you know that the your but the insights that I wanted to share about that about keeping that uh, beautiful thing that we experience at Trialers College about slowing things down and really being present and listening and listening not to say something but really listening to understand, um, which was one of the big things, and uh, I thought. Uh, Josh Carton was amazing, by the yeah. way. I mean, what a brilliant guy. And he uh, he worked with me a little bit, and that was so profound. But Josh had talked about this listening aspect. And um, I think that going into the insight of how to keep that is just in your everyday life, you know, whoever you're talking to, you know, really work to listen, to really understand what that person is saying and kind of get out of yourself, which is what we want to do in front of a jury. So it's good practice. It's a win-win. And the other person really loves you because of it, because everybody wants to be heard. Yeah. But the, so that's one way. Um, And then I think from a lawyer or trial lawyer and law firm perspective, how to keep it and I guess we'll find out. We can revisit this in 10 years. How's that, buddy? But I think the what led me into doing just trucking accidents as my sole practice area 
is leading to taking less cases. Um, it's leading to being able to focus on a couple of these truck cases where you can just really, like you said, there's so many layers, right? And you can just keep going deep and deep and you put on this case that is, it's, it's magical um, when you do the deep dive into only a few cases. Well, I think the, the overlap of that is that also allows you to be present like at Trial Lawyers College, both for, for that client and those cases versus having, you know, 200 some cases of all different kinds of areas and you're bouncing off the walls, which is what was happening to me in 2010, where now with the whole progression of going into just specializing in tra- handling truck accidents, um, having some success in the area and then going to trial lawyers college because I wanted to become a successful trial lawyer. Now I have the two foundations. I have the focus in my practice area and the success to really start to build on that foundation. And now I have the trial uh, skills and methods to go do it. And so that singular, if you will, focus feels a lot like when I was at Trial Lawyers College because I don't have to deal with all these other headaches now. I don't have a million emails a day and I don't have a million clients calling and complaining. Um, I only have a few of those. And so now I can embrace the whole Trial Lawyers College experience. And I guess, like you said, we'll check in with each other, see how that goes. the awesome thing about having a few clients is you're calling them to tell them what's happening rather than them calling you to complain that they haven't heard from you. It it is a... and I actually have to credit Rodney Jew for, uh, I mean, I'd already been bringing it down some, but I have to really credit Rodney Jew for opening my eyes to the possibility of living my life the way I want to live it, mm-hmm. with fewer cases and being an artist and really working up each one yeah. and digging deep, deep, deep into each one. Uh, you know, like I said, he's, I know you've worked with Rodney. Uh, what was your, I mean, besides... You've worked with Paul, you mentioned Paul Scopter, you had some time with, with Leaserman, you worked with Freed, uh, then of course the Trial Lawyers College is major. Anything, anyone else you've worked with that's been like a big influence on how you've worked up your cases or how you've had success? Yeah, so, um, well, there's a couple of things in that question, right? One was you asked me about Rodney Jew, and um, Rodney, I have worked with Rodney, and uh, it was actually the case we just resolved, and that was really a powerful experience both from a way to really get down to the core of what the case is really about, right? And I think that's the hardest thing for us and requires us to take less cases, which is what Rodney preaches, and I think he's absolutely 100% right. If we want to be great trial lawyers and we want to get to the heart of a case and we want to get all the necessary admissions from the defense and do the great job in the depositions and preparation for trial, we need to have uh, those focuses on the smaller amount of cases. And uh, Rodney was brilliant in, in doing that, both in talking about it in general and then when working with him taking a case apart and you know he calls it the purple box right Right. yeah and you know that that's the defense box right basically and we all want to go there and defend that box and and Rodney's I think really genius in saying hey don't fight in the purple box fight where you're going to win fight where you're going to win and you know and and so one of the greatest sayings I have that ties into what you just said by the way I just have to mention it Uh, we have it etched in our whiteboard in our uh, focus jury room back in my office that we built 
and it it's the saying that Joe Freed will be forever infamous for, which is how can they be right and we still win? Yeah, and that's the essence of Rodney's purple box, right? And so, um, so we we need to step out of that defending every issue in our case and really getting to the core of what is our case and what is the case about and 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 as Eric always says, you know who's the most important juror in the room, right? It's us. We have to believe the case. Absolutely. And to get to, to do that, you have to get to the core of the case. So Rodney was a huge influence, is a huge influence. I, I don't, I plan on working with him again, yeah. hopefully. The others, though, that have an influence, you know, have been in the ATA programs. We've done weekends with Josh Carton. Yeah. Um, he's absolutely brilliant. I love Josh. Uh, he's, a, he's a very interesting guy, and I know he's been on the program, and yeah. I was uh, on the edge of my seat listening to it, Michael. You, you do a wonderful job, I have to tell you. It's listening. Yeah, it is, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty cool. But that Josh had a, has a, had an influence, and um, and then you know Jesse Wilson, who's uh, kind of the a version of Josh, and um, they bring different talents. But Jesse and I have worked closely together many times, and he's been brilliant to work with. And there's been others, but I think, you know, all of those uh, individuals have helped. The other things that have helped is, uh, you know, I, I love, I don't know Nick Rowley, but I am absolutely like in love with this guy. I mean, I want to meet him so bad. He's agreed <laughs> to be on the show, but we haven't been on to get the schedules to work out yet. Oh, uh, can I come uh, when he's here? I want to come up. Well, I'll, might I'll be, be I'll be, uh, I'll be flying out to meet him probably. So it'll either be in California or Iowa. Or wherever. Okay. I mean, I'm have jet. We'll travel. You know, wherever yeah. Nick will meet me, I yeah. will be there, and I will spend time. Even if it wasn't on the podcast, but I can just spend an hour learning from Nick Rowley, I want to do it. Well, you know, I, he, he's had such a big influence uh, on me as a trial lawyer. And the, again, it, it just tied in perfectly with the Trial Lawyers College experience. Um, you know, when the book Trial by Human came out and Running with the Bulls and just he's done some trial guide um you know, coffee talks, I guess. Yeah. And I just, I, every time I hear him speak, I, I, I can't get enough of, of what he has to say. In fact, um, I sent my two associates, Jen and Ashley, when I was at Trialers College, out to his program in Iowa. Oh, and yeah. they also came back huge Rowley disciples. And, uh, you know, they got to meet him. And I haven't even got to meet this yeah. guy yet. But he's had a big influence on me because I also feel there's some sort of um, connection with my personality and my spirit that I relate to him, how he is using his abilities to connect with the jury and how just by doing it, just by being really, you know, vulnerable and honest. And I, I, I think that's a big part of me. I think it's so important that we study and learn from different people because they really have different facets. I mean, one of the things I love about the Trial Lawyers College is you learn really good communication skills and you learn how to reverse roles with people and get an emotional story. But then I've seen a lot of people get out of trial college and they think that's all you need to do and they'll go there and they won't have read all the documents. They won't have thought what, what all their elements of proof are, what you need to protect mm -hmm. your appeal and flounder. Yeah, uh, Because right. they just... It, or even is the story that came out in the psychodramatic recreation is that consistent with the physical evidence of the case or you're going to get torn to bits because yeah. you know, it's not it's 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 the reality in someone's head it's an emotional truth it's not exactly if you took a film of what was happening yeah. what you would have seen at the time it's an important aspect but it's not a complete aspect of mm -hmm. everything you need to know to try a case mm -hmm. 
I think Rodney Jew has been transformational on digging deep and getting intellectual. And, you know, he talks about a listening emotion, and I think his stuff does elicit emotion, but it, it doesn't dive into the emotional stuff. Same mm-hmm. way like David Ball, who's mm-hmm. brilliant in his way of, of breaking down a case and analyzing it and presenting it in a way, both Rodney and David are really good about presenting it in a way that people can actually understand. It's not rambling. It makes sense. It gets your point across. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, you talk about Jesse Wilson, Sarah DeLamont, Josh Carton, how to actually communicate with people and make them want to hear you and get across and, you know, be dynamic and interesting. It's just to really, you got to work with, you got to do all of it. That doesn't mean you have to do all of it before you try your first case. But if mm-hmm. you want to master this field, mm-hmm. it means you got to put the work in mm-hmm. and lots of different people. You can't just say, well, I went to this one program and now I'm a master. It's no, you have to not just go. You have to work with different mm-hmm. people and keep doing it until you master it. Well, it kind of goes back to the, the thing that hung on my door, right? Yeah. That trial lawyers aren't born. You have to build them. Yeah, and it's a lot of work. And it's a lot of work. And we um, have to keep a balance. But at the same time, I think as a trial lawyer, we do have to accept that it's a big part of who we are. Yeah. And that is also where we spend our time. And that I think, you know, I think we all struggle with that in our personal life, but if we manage to have the right people around us that support us no matter what, that they understand that passion that we bring and requires our time to be really good at what we do. Absolutely, because when I'm out there working with Rodney or we're working with Jesse or sorry, somebody else, I don't, I am loving what I do. It's not like I feel like I'm making any sacrifice whatsoever. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it's it's pretty, it's pretty terrific stuff, you know, and the, they, you know, I, I, I find it, there was something I wanted to say, though, about Nick Rowley and Josh Carton and Jesse Wilson and, you know, Joe and Michael and Eric Penn and guys like you, um, Trial Lawyers College, and my experience with all of those folks, uh, Paul Scopter and other trial lawyers, by the way, that I met at Trial Lawyers College, I found brilliant and that I've met along the way. And I don't mean to leave anyone out because there's been a ton. Um, but one of the things that was my biggest takeaway, and it it was an evolution both from a you know a life standpoint which is the whole you know therapy issues um and relational issues to the turning to specialization in trucking to turning to wanting to be a trial lawyer and these individuals and uh, nick rowley really i think really brings this out the most which is this creativity that we as trial lawyers haven't either discovered or embraced. And I, being one of them, uh, in fact, a lot of my friends joke because I've had a couple of homes in my lifetime and uh, I've worked with designers and I ended up always getting in fights with the designers because there's something inside of me. I just love that creative. I have a creative side and I've really never nurtured that side of it. And when I would do the design stuff, it would just come out. And I, and, and again, it would, it would conflict with them because of their egos. Right. But I, I didn't realize it at the time, but then all those people and experiences and travelers college led me to really embrace and therapy led me to embrace that. I'm actually a very creative person. And I thought, well, but, but I'm, but I can't, that doesn't fit with being a trial lawyer, but, but it does. And that's what trial lawyers college and many of these other individuals we just mentioned bring out. And so what's happened since trial lawyers college for me is I've committed myself to honoring 
this creative side in, of me. And it sounds maybe a little silly and whatever, but um, you know, when at Travelers College they have you paint. Right. Isn't that a great experience? And they, you know, Jerry came up with this thing of paint your soul, whatever that is that comes on that canvas, and then you have to explain why that's your soul. And um, that experience for some reason brought me such joy. And when I came home, I realized what that joy was, was that I am a very creative person and I need to start implementing that into my trial work because that's what guys like Nick Rowley are doing. Oh, yeah. And that's what Jerry did and that's what Trial Lawyers College is, is about. And so just, I wanna give you a really good example because I think it's a really, I think it's gonna turn into something very powerful in, in our firm. And uh, my associates, Jen and Ashley, absolutely love this. So we were getting ready for trial, as you know, two weeks ago. And there was a, a real issue as to uh, were we right or were they right? And the focus groups were half and half. We did a, we did a whole empirical study of 300 people and um, they were more in favor of the doctor. And this was, that study came back three days before trial and we had a pretty decent offer on the table. So, you know, things were really getting hairy. And the whole burden of proof was becoming a very important instruction in the case yeah. and so you know I know there's a ton of different opinions out there do you address a burden of proof in jury selection or is that a weakness when you're trying to tell people we don't have to show you 100% right um, I subscribe to the theory of leave the burden of proof because really people are deciding on what they feel is right so it's jury selection is where you're going to get your burden of proof because you're going to get people that are either going to have leanings towards your case uh, or not. And so hopefully you get a good jury. But the what I have come to decide as the burden of proof is that we just have to prove more likely than not, right? Um, more probably true than not. And there's been so much out there about, you know, just the scales, the 50-yard yeah. line, the this or that, right? And Jen and I and Ashley were in the focus group room late, late, late one night. We were, um, you know, riffing about this burden of proof in our case because it was going to be such a close call. And so I said, hey, guys, isn't it that we just have to be more right than they are? Isn't that the burden of proof? And so our... Uh, we, we just all jumped out of our chairs and we started mapping out a, a, a board yeah. uh, on the burden of proof about we just have to be more right than they are. And we started to come up with all the reasons why we were more right than they are. And then in the, in the sake of accountability, because as you know, juries are really moved by this vulnerability and this honesty about that we're here out of fairness. So out of fairness, because the trial is about fairness, Here's the list also, though, that the defendants are right about. And inevitably, we came down to that, let's say, in that in our case, we had 10 things we were right about, and we listed about six things they were right about. So we're more right than they are. And there's no weakness in that, yeah. because that's what they're, at the end, is are told the legal, the legal instruction or the law is. And so it's fresh in their mind, and all they have to do is go back there and say that in their head. Is the plaintiff more right? than the defense. And uh, I, I just, I think I have discovered the way to handle burden of proof, at least for me and my firm and my lawyers, and I think that's how we're gonna use that. And that came from, though, that example is from that creativity, because I would not have 
embraced that, I would have said, oh, that's Tim's idea. That's I would judge myself. You know, we've talked a lot about this, how you and I have this similar way of judging ourselves. And yeah. so it has a way of not allowing our creativity out. So take it for what it's worth. But, you know, I think we should embrace our creative side because I think just the fact that we're all trial lawyers, um, we have a creative side. We just need to let it come out. You know, I could keep talking all night, and actually I am because we're going to have dinner together. But... <laughs> um, we do need to start wrapping the show up, but I, I don't want to leave. You've had an, a couple of incredible successes lately. Uh, I know you had, was it $9 million on one case, and yeah. then you had a trucking case that was even better than that. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about that case and how you've just kind of taken everything you've learned? And, <laughs> you know, first of all, what was the result, if you can tell me? Yeah, so the trucking case was the $9 million case. Okay. Yeah. And uh, we settled it midnight before jury selection. Um, I had my my our good friend Pete Kessner was uh, handling the negotiations with the defense and their insurance company, so our team was just you know drilling down on getting ready for trial, and that in itself I have to say if you, if if there's ever a big case to get someone like Pete to really handle the negotiations because as you know it, as soon as you start down that road it takes you off the preparing road yeah. and so that that was a big help so I wanted to just mention that but. Yeah, this this case was was wonderful. So it was against the uh, one of the largest carriers in the country. Um, we faced two of the top defense firms in Chicago, excellent defense lawyers, and um, all the experiences of going to all these conferences for seven or eight years, learning from Joe, Michael, you, everyone else, Eric Penn, and seeing it come out in this case because this case had every issue imaginable. It so what had, happened? Oh, so, so yeah, so it was, a, it was a large carrier and uh, they were hauling double trailers and the trucker went out around 10, 10 p.m. one evening and he, was, he just had come off the uh, off-ramp and he was merging into the interstate and the second trailer had separated and it had come to a rest uh, right in the merge lane uh, of, of a major interstate in Chicago and the trailer sat on its uh, you know on its nose and uh, no lights and on an angle so the conspicuity tape really wasn't a big reflecting factor and so uh, our guy had was driving home from after working out and uh, you know there was no distraction involved there was no drinking involved and he was in his pickup truck and he was coming down the merge lane and just missed he well he saw the trailer because he did react um, swerved but uh, it took off almost the entire side of his pickup truck uh, from the corner of the trailer and he spun around and you know he ended up having a mild traumatic brain injury and multiple orthopedic injuries and so you know it was a very challenging case because the the brain injury was hotly contested and our our client had gone through some drug issues and so you know there was a lot of uh interplay of well was he was he delayed at all because of the brain injury or was it because of the drug use? And so we had to deal with that. And so that was the kind of the, the damage side of things. And it was, uh, I think there were probably six medical experts on both sides for that stuff. And then on the liability side, they had come up with a defense of, you know, comparative and yeah, he, why'd you run into our bill? Right. How did you not see it? And the truck driver had, I think, 
personally made up a story after the fact that 30 cars had gone by and this car didn't. Um, and, but it had some traction and so we had to uh, deal with it. And so what the turning point, and to answer your question of how everything that I had learned came out in this case was all these issues, knowing how to handle them, both from the liability and damage side and the brain injury side, which all, we all know is a Yeah, it's all another area. Yeah, and I, I brought in Dorothy Clay Sims, by the way, oh, to sorry. help, and what a brilliant... Yeah. So what how a, did you make it about the company? I mean, because so you've got... First of all, why did, did you ever figure out why the trailer did not stay attached to the other trailer? Yeah, so uh, I fly down to take the 30B6 depths of the maintenance and safety guys. I uh, Joe Freed's down there. I look Joe up. I say, Joe, you know, I'm down here for these depths. You want to have dinner? He says, come by the office. We end up sitting in his, in his desk, and we start role-playing the depths just out of the blue. We didn't well, plan on this. And, know, yeah. yeah, and it was, oh, it was awesome. So uh, Joe and I came up with this theory that there's only two reasons a trailer separates. It's either driver error mechanical error and so i went and took the two depths the next day i got all of the both of them to admit there's only two reasons then i got them to admit that that this company has had over 300 trailer separations in the last three or four years at their company oh wow and that none of them were due to mechanical error which means there's only one explanation driver error 300 times so what we did was we 300 times and we took that information we amended our pleadings and this was again something that i've learned and i firmly believe in every truck case there's a punitive right there's a chance at punitive damages, and all of us doing trucking accidents should always be considering punitive damages in all of our truck cases moving forward, if they haven't already. And we we went back, we asked the judge to amend the pleadings to add a punitive count, and that's how, because Illinois doesn't allow for, you know, the the double counts of, you know, negligence when they admit agency. Right. You can't, they get to brush the negligent training and monitoring and supervision and hiring and all that. Unless you get to the punitives. Unless you get to the punitives. So the judge granted our motion. So now we got to the punitives, um, but it wasn't over yet. So then we went into this whole other similar incidences, the OSI model, and we started developing all these other trailer separations at the company that it was all driver error. They had a policy that they came up with in 2005 and we got them to talk about the whole that little meeting they had in 2005 that they determined that there was a needed policy to address their trailer separation issues and that in that meeting room if you will um that they made the determination that the cause of it was driver error due to complacency and so how do you combat complacency right you train training monitoring monitoring supervision and that's how we fell into making it about the company. Well, I love that because now it's your client's few seconds to react versus you've had 299 <laughs> chances to get this right. Why does the 300th person have to get so hurt? The, the, the famous Steve Gersten exhibit, right? Have you seen his exhibit? Yeah. yeah he's where he's got the clock where the driver yeah. had five seconds and the company had about three years. Yeah. yeah I mean, it was, that's, that's brilliant. It's and brilliant. Overcomes and I guess nine million dollars they agreed you did something right well yeah you know because we did have a lot of uh issues on the damage side you know there were there really were a lot of questions of whether our client had a brain injury so i think the punitive damages and allowing that evidence to be in front of the jury really put a lot of pressure on the truck company to settle the case and uh it was contentious right to that moment about midnight yeah um and we were ready to go and i think you know, it was disappointing that we didn't get to go to verdict. However, um, as you know, and we've talked today about this, you know, sometimes there's just a number that 
only was a number, by the way, because we fought so hard. Yeah. Um, but it's a number that makes it really risky to, to put on a trial. Well, at the end of the day, it's about your client, not about you. Mm-hmm. And as much glory as you get from a trial and the victory, the only thing you can get for your client is money. And $9 million on a case where a jury might think you're right, be furious with the trucking company, award $3 million, give you a hug afterwards because they love you and they want to tell you how much, what a great thing they just did for you. Yeah. Not saying that would happen, but that when that's a real risk yeah. to turn down the $9 million just because you want to get the ego of a trial and a big victory yeah. to be able to brag, is it's not right for the client. And when, you know, I think not only did you do an incredible job on the case, because that was a tough case and that was an incredible outcome, but you also did the right thing in being humble enough to put your client first because you know you go out and try the case and you don't do as well you get you know either zero or five million or seven million you're gonna do fine you're gonna yeah. go on even a zero you're gonna go on to your next case and you're gonna right. make it back your client has one case and you did the right thing no I thank you Michael it was uh, it was quite that case in itself was quite a journey and and again I I think it really brought me into the trial lawyers because it happened right before I came, went to trial lawyers college. It brought me right to the point where I'm ready to be that trial lawyer uh, and trucking lawyer. And so uh, there were so many positives that came from that case, and I have so many people to thank, including my own team. Um, and uh, I just I feel really great in my career right now. We just wrapped up that other case last week. That was a great result, and I think that we're really ready to. Uh, take the world by storm in the trucking world well i'm looking forward to having you back on when you get your next great big verdict or settlement and you can tell us how you did it michael thank you for having me uh like i said i love you man you're great love you too brother thank you for joining us on trial lawyer nation i hope you enjoyed our show if you're listening to this episode on a mobile device please click on ratings and review and leave our show a five-star rating and write a review And if you're listening to this episode from our website, please leave a five-star rating on the episode page. We'd love to reach more listeners, and doing this will help more attorneys find this podcast. You can also visit our website at www.triallawyernation.com to opt into our mailing list so you can stay updated on our new episodes. I promise we won't spam you. And thanks to your feedback, we've improved our podcast website. There's now a resources tab that you can click that shows you all the books we've mentioned on our podcast. If you have a Facebook account, please send us a request to join a private group called Trial Lawyer Nation Insider Circle. This exclusive group will allow you to hear about our guests before an episode airs, interact with the show, and get a sneak peek at some of the behind-the-scenes moments. I love to hear from all of you, and our Table Talk episodes are based solely on questions from our fans. So please continue to send us emails at podcast at triallawyernation.com. Thanks for tuning in, and I look forward to having you with us next time on Trial Lawyer Nation. Each year, the law firm of Cowan Rodriguez Peacock pays millions of dollars in co-counsel fees to attorneys nationwide on trucking, commercial motor vehicle, and product liability cases. If you have a case involving death or catastrophic injuries and would like to partner with our firm, please contact us. We would be honored to review the case in detail, discuss where we believe we can add value, and create a mutually beneficial partnership. You can reach Delisi Friday by calling 210-941-1301 or send an email to podcast at triallawyernation.com. She will coordinate a time for Michael Cowan to speak with you in person or by phone to discuss the case in detail. 
This podcast has been hosted by Michael Cowan and is not intended to, nor does it create the attorney-client privilege between our hosts, guests, or contributors and any listener for any reason. Content from the podcast is not to be interpreted as legal advice. All thoughts and opinions expressed herein are only those from which they came.